So good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the TR90 Body Burn 30 Support Call. This call happens Monday through Friday at this time, which for me is 6.40 in the morning Pacific time, 7.40 Mountain time, 8.40 Texas time, 9.40 Michigan and East Coast time. Thrilled to have you all along with us. Um, Really, really fabulous. For those of you that don't know who I am, I'm Susan Mann out of Portland, Oregon. I come to you with an education background, but a huge interest in the health, nutrition, and exercise portions of the TR90 program since I had grandparents that were not in the best of health when I was in high school, and I realized I didn't want to travel down some of the health paths that they had already started down, and with heart disease and diabetes, and I'm just going, you know what, I don't want to give myself shots. I think I want to keep my heart in good shape. So I've always had a huge interest in those things, and when the TR90 program came out, I was thrilled that it actually, it was one of the first ones that really worked super well for me, and I am just, I can't tell you how pleased I am. So that TR90 program, when you're first starting out, is that one good, really good, clean, lean meal a day, two uh, shakes a day, three snacks a day, 30 grams of protein at least three of those meals. If you're a really large person, you'll either need to increase the number of grams of protein per meal or add a fourth meal that has 30 grams of protein in it. Drinking plenty of water to stay hydrated. Hydration does many things that keep your systems moving. And so the current thinking is at least one ounce of water for every two pounds you weigh. So if you weigh 100 pounds, you should be drinking a minimum of 50 ounces of water daily. But if you're exercising heavily or in a very humid area and are losing a lot of body fluid, then you will need to increase that. And sometimes if you take just the smallest little pinch of like sea salt or Himalayan salt and drop it into a glass of water and drink that. That will help your body actually hold on to those to the water a little more effectively. Seven plus servings of fruits and vegetables daily. That gives you micronutrients, macronutrients, and fiber. And fiber is really key because um, guys need at least 46 grams of fiber daily. And women, I believe, need at least 36 to 37 grams of fiber daily to keep things moving and keep your systems working at optimum levels. So really good to get that those fruits and vegetables closer to their original state than it would be um, to have them highly processed. Making sure to get seven to nine hours of rest daily. That rest really helps your body do a lot of system resets, helps you make good decisions, make better connections, um, and quicker connections because it's good for memory. It's good for several other things. So getting that adequate sleep is really important. Taking those supplements 15 to 20 minutes before a meal is optimum. If you're not able to take it before your meal, take them with your meal. They'll still work, but they'll just not be quite as effective as they would be if you were taking them 15 to 20 minutes before a meal. 30 minutes of moderate to have the exercise at least five days a week. That is really important. What it does is it um, 
No, I lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> 30 minutes of heavy, moderate to heavy exercise. What that does for you is it actually helps your brain functions. It helps several body functions. It keeps your body fit. I like to mix it up between the weight-bearing and strength-bearing or anaerobic just because I like to be well-balanced. Um, and keep changing up your exercise because once your body gets used to doing the same old, same old, same old, it doesn't have to work nearly as hard as it would if you're learning something new or something that's fairly new to you. So with that being said, I'm always looking for information to share with you that will support that TR90 lifestyle. And with that being said, it is um, the the information I'm sharing with you today is out of a book that's called Fat Chance, Beating the Odds Against Sugar, Processed Food, Obesity and Disease. And it was written by Robert H. Lustig, M.D., L.S.M., or M.S.L., excuse me. Lustig is spelled L-U-S-T-I-G. This book came out several years ago, but it gives you a lot of the background history on sugar and fat and what's the really critical stuff to be having in our diets and what things we really need to eliminate, which for many of us, it's that sugar. That sugar is so invasive that it it is really critical to make sure that we're getting that out of our diet. So, picking up where we left off, um, yesterday we went over um, changing marketing to children and changing the environment. So today we're getting into taxation. Taxation is simple and effective. It's unpopular way of reducing consumption of virtually anything. Taxation follows the law of supply and demand. Adding a tax increases the price of the substance of concern such that consumers can afford to buy less of it. Alcohol taxes are popular worldwide because they are relatively cheap and easy to collect while causing little market distortion. Alcohol taxation in the form of special excise duties, taxing the producer, or value added and sales taxes, taxing the consumer, have proven among the most prodigious and effective ways worldwide to reduce the overall volume of drinking and in turn alcohol attributable harm. Could taxing sugar help solve obesity? This is one of the most incendiary topics on the agenda. Want to stop a dialogue in the United States? Utter the word or utter the phrase soda tax. Soda is not all sugar-sweetened beverages or SSBs. SSBs are only 33% of all added sugar, and SSBs are not the sole cause of the obesity epidemic. So this strategy is incomplete at best. Nonetheless, SSBs have several characteristics that make them the most promising target for prevention of obesity and metabolic syndrome. First, SSBs, or that uh, sugar-sweetened beverages, are a clearly defined category. 
Unlike other junk foods that might contain some protein, fiber, or micronutrients, there is nothing in an FSB that's valuable. Well, someone argues that the juice has vitamin C, but the fiber was a good part of the fruit, and the vitamin C deficiency or scurvy is now so rare that cases of it are reported in medical journals. Second, sugar. Um, Sugar-sweetened beverages contribute more calories to the diet than any other single type of food or beverage. Third, the evidence supporting an association between the FSB's intake and obesity is stronger than for any other single food staff. State-sponsored soft drink excise taxes reduced soft drink sales and consumption among children and adolescents. While consumption of whole milk increased, one downside is that the consumption of fruit juice also increased. Another intervention in a hospital cafeteria showed that increasing the price of soda by 35% resulted in a 26% reduction in consumption. Thus, soda taxation represents a viable public health strategy. Already, Canada imposes a GST or goods and services tax, and some European countries impose a VAT or value-added tax on on some sweetened foods. In the United States, the concept of a soda tax was met with a firestorm of antagonism from everyone from the libertarians claiming consumer freedom to the ACLU claiming discrimination based on poverty, to the food industry claiming that the scientific McCarthyism, the beverage industry has spent millions of dollars on lobbying against the SSB sin tax, so it is so desperate to derail this legislation that it offered the city of Philadelphia $10 million including an obesity fellowship or professorship at a children's hospital in Philadelphia if the city agreed to abandon its proposed excise tax on soda. While this offer might seem generous, Philadelphia would have raised $77 million in revenues in one year with the $10 million, or with $20 million going towards obesity prevention if the tax had gone through. Money talks, science locks. Soda taxation has gotten a bad route for three major reasons. First, how can the poor finance a soda tax? Regressive taxes place a greater burden of cost on the lower income consumers. The U.S. has a strong tradition of consumer rights protection Taxes that exert unfamiliar constraints on individual choice are bad enough, and those who lo- those levied on the poor are doomed to fail. Which begs the question: Can a regressive tax be in the public health interest? Hey, it works for tobacco and alcohol. Of course it can, but with three caveats. First, regressive taxes make sense only if 
The substance being taxed causes disproportionate health harms in the poor. This is certainly true for all addictive substances, including tobacco, alcohol, and sugar. Remember, fructose is not an essential nutrient, and the burden of metabolic syndrome is highest on the low-income minorities. And the current loss of productivity and increased medical costs associated with metabolic syndrome provide a strong case for widespread taxpayer benefits. Second, the proceeds of the tax must be diverted back to the public health of the lower-income population to balance out the regressive nature of the tax. In the case of sugar, tax revenues could be applied towards subsidies on fresh produce. They could also be used to finance commercial loan and development programs, encouraging grocery stores and farmers markets to relocate to underserved low-income communities or food deserts by redirecting subsidies to make healthful products accessible to low-income consumers, valid concerns about regressive taxation and government paternalism can be headed off at the pass. Everyone wins except the beverage industry. Third, What is the purpose of the tax? To prevent obesity or to pay for obesity programs. The fear is that the politicians will abscond with the money as a quick fix to close their budget shortfalls and avoid cuts to critical services such as public safety and transportation. The American Beverage Association says that despite the rhetoric of elected Officials wanting to curb obesity, soda taxes are all about filling up public coffers. Larry Young, CEO of Dr. Pepper Snapple and chairman of the ABA, told Goldman Sachs, you say it's for obesity, come on, it's to fill a budget deficit, and there's real reason to be worried about this. The current proposal is for a penny per ounce soda tax, which would increase the price of a can of soda by 12 cents. While this would generate approximately $13 billion, with a B, in revenue, it is unlikely to have a significant impact on reducing SSB consumption and diabetes associated with metabolic syndrome. Rather, statistical modeling suggests that the price would have to double to reduce sugar or soda consumption. So a dollar, $1 can of soda should cost $2. And no one is ready for that yet. But give it time. No one in New York has all was all, no one in New York was ready to spend $11.90 for a pack of cigarettes either. Hefty taxes are required to reduce consumption of addictive substances. I think I'm going to stop there for today. I'm going to take us off mute so we can say goodbye to each other. And I want to make sure to thank Jeff for keeping me posted about how the sound quality is. Doing my best on the fly here. 
With that, this is Susie Mann from March 1st, 2022, signing out. I want to wish you guys a great day, and if you get a chance, get outside and get some exercise in the great outdoors where there's more endorphins for us and our bodies to absorb. And there we have it, my friends. Thank you. It's yeah, so interesting how, how the struggle between getting things that are healthy and trying to make things uh, better for people and the lobbyists are pushing to just make money and change everything for the, you know, it's sad. For their bottom line. Yeah, for their bottom line and not necessarily for the health of America. It's just one of those things that we keep learning. Well, with that being said, I am going to run off and go do my stuff. But remember, at the top of the hour, if you want to scoot over to Facebook One Team Global Live, one of the leaders will be sharing information on how to build a new skin business if that's something you are interested in. Have a great day, one and all. Thank you, Susan. Bye. Have a You're great day. Yourself. And we should have Mr. Frank back tomorrow. Yay! (laughs) Oh, good. Okay.